This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Welcome to another edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan along with you. A little less uh, jovial than the last episode when we were previewing a Vikings uh, playoff game against uh, against the New York Giants that did not go uh, our way, as everybody knows. And uh, the Giants were recording this uh, on the Sunday after the Giants were eliminated handily by the Philadelphia Eagles. The Vikings, of course, would have played San Francisco, so um, they would not have gotten that Eagles matchup unless they beat San Francisco. But either way, um, you, you know, you know what's interesting, uh, Matt. Uh, we'll bring you on here. First thing is Philadelphia really caught a big break by the Vikings losing that game because Philadelphia would have had to play Dallas. And then likely San Francisco. I don't think the Vikings would have beat San Francisco. So Philadelphia would have had to likely beat Dallas and San Francisco to get to the Super Bowl. Now they just dispatched the Giants, who are much worse than Dallas. I think we both agree on that. And yep. and now they just get the winner of this of this dogfight between Dallas and San Francisco, which will be played uh, later today when we record this. By the time people listen. We'll know the results of that game, but regardless, Eagles got a big break. They did, and they having the bye, they got uh, Hertz healthy, and they looked formidable. This looks like the team that beat up on the Vikings in Week Two with just you know he. It's I turned to my dad watching the beginning of the game and said, "This Jalen Hurts looks like he's starting the game like he did against us going." you know, six for six, seven for six, quickly, you know, having over a hundred yards passing and 80 completion percentage and multiple touchdowns and running the ball. And if, if you're giving Hertz time, he's, you know, he's going to beat you. And, and when he's, and now to your point, they have uh, the opportune path to get to the Super Bowl, and uh, they're hosting and they got healthy and they got to, uh, work out the kinks by beating up on the Giants team that lost to us. And boy, did they look like a completely different team than they did a week ago. They did. It's amazing what pressure on the quarterback can do. And, and Philadelphia's O-line uh, is probably the best in football. Their center, uh, Kelsey, is one of the best of all time. So it, it's, it, they have that. And then, of course, the trade for A.J. Brown just completely changed their offense. They had Devontae Smith already, but you know, we can get into, we don't need this to be a Philadelphia Eagles uh, fan line, but, but they, they did look very good. And uh, we'll be talking more about them perhaps uh, if they, if they make it to, to the Super Bowl next time we record one of these episodes, but let's get into the Giants game briefly. Uh, you know, that's a painful, that's a painful subject for Vikings fans, us included. Uh, but then let's get into some off season talk as well. And then uh, at the end, we'll talk, uh, the twins keep making moves that, uh, force us to talk about them even in January. Um, the good of Correa and now, uh, you know, differing opinions on the trade of fan favorite Luisa Rise. I think everybody's sad to see him go. Some people think it's a good trade. Some people not so much. I'm kind of in that latter category, but we'll get into that at the end of the show. First of all, the Giants game, Matt, and I, I have I have just a few thoughts. I don't even want to harp on how bad the defense was. I mean, everybody knows that. Um, I think I think it was really uh, a culmination of everything that's gone wrong for this defense all year. 
all coming together at once and the things they did do well on occasion, pressure on the QB early in the season, opportune turnovers, those didn't come. Um, so we can harp on the defense all day. Ed Donatel has been fired, I think, in a move that that had to happen. You never like to see a guy lose his job, but everybody agrees that that probably had to happen. And we'll see who the new coordinator is and react to that once we once we have that announcement. But it could be weeks because they could be waiting for um, some teams still alive to be eliminated before they they make that decision. But I did want to harp on a few few key things in that game that I think really three offensive plays in particular. And because of how bad the defense was, the offense had to be nearly perfect. And I think the big one, obviously, that everybody will talk about was 7-7 game early. Vikings went down and scored. Giants responded immediately. And then you had the third and one in your own territory. And Dalvin's gouging them, as he did in the first meeting. Uh, Kirk is on fire to start the game. So is Jefferson. And they try that weird trick play with Jefferson throwing it back to Kirk with no blockers. No blockers in front of Kirk. It was just, and you heard O'Connell afterwards, they were going for the explosive, something we talked about in the last episode. You don't need the explosive always on third and one. They were going for something big there. And that play needs to be burned from the playbook permanently. Um, That was awful and really changed the momentum of the game. The Giants went down and scored. You score there, go up 14-7, you make them chase you. Instead, the Vikings were kind of chasing the rest of that game. Uh, secondly, the dropped, there was a drop pass by Irv on a key second down that, that stalled the drive. They didn't convert the, the, the subsequent third down that drive stalled. That was also in the first half, but then maybe the biggest of all, just because when it, when it happened in the game, 24, 21 giants in the early in the fourth quarter, fourth and inches, they're about to sneak it. And Derrissaw commits a false start. And now Derrissaw has been great all year. That false start, though, massive. The Vikings then kick the field goal to tie the game at 24 instead of possibly scoring a touchdown on that drive going up 28-24, taking their first lead since 7-0 and really putting the pressure back on the Giants. And the pressure was never really on the Giants the, the, the entire game, um, except for when the Vikings went up early 7-0. This, I was there. The stadium was as loud as could be. Defense couldn't do anything, but those three miscues offensively, unfortunately, with how bad the defense was, the offense had to be perfect, and and those three miscues, any little mistakes in playoff games hurt you, and when you combine those three, it just killed them. I I couldn't disagree with anything you said. We knew the defense uh, was mostly a fraud, but they'd been opportunistic frauds, and uh, they were not opportunistic in the game. And they were even more fraud-like than they had been all season. Um, you know, the, let's just be clear. Uh, the defense was pretty much a disaster this year. The um, switching the base defense uh, with the personnel that they had backfired. Uh, the health of the defense was an issue. About the only thing that really was great this year um, when it comes to the defense was Zedarius, the first half, great. The emergence of Duke Kelly, great. And I would say 
the reinvigoration and leadership of Patrick Peterson. Great. Uh, I'm, I, it's still the, his speed there, I think, is questionable. Uh, yeah, man time. coverage it, it, in it, both it, Giants games. Yes. You could there, tell. That one may, but I still think he gave you a lot of leadership. No, I agree. Did overall play. Yeah. He did the previous year what he gave you but otherwise it was pretty much a disaster the middle of the field the, problem never got fixed all year nope never uh Sullivan had issues the linebacking was 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 bad Harrison Smith being injured a, a number of times hurt you on the leadership in the middle of the field front the scheme was bad um you know Kendrick's out of place Daniel arguably out of place but you know at, put all that aside it made the offense have to be perfect and you know people have you know beat up on the the fourth down play call with the game on the line plenty of enough um you you can argue about whether Kirk can throw that or not but the reality is is it was a poorly designed play the offense didn't give him time and Dexter um, Lawrence was in his face yes 100% that that's and, what doomed doomed that play yeah Kirk's got to get it past the sticks i think we can both we both but, love Kirk he does have to get it past the sticks there but Kurt Warner did a great breakdown of that play. It was poor. It was poorly designed as well. And it, and, and O'Connell O'Connell had some miscues in that game. That is a first year head coach. He did a great job, but he would be the first to acknowledge he has to improve as well going into year two. Yeah, and I don't know if it was it was an option for TJ or or and how that was supposed to play out. But having your second best receiver run short of the sticks was was poorly designed to begin with and they had him ship Thibodeau who who Ole Udo had been handling well all game Ole Udo played a very good game both times on Thibodeau the Vikings did a good job first Brian O'Neill and then we were worried can Ole Udo handle him he basically handled him all game Lawrence was the one who was wreaking havoc yet again up the middle but but uh TJ having him ship Thibodeau there may have prevented him from running that route past the sticks. Yeah, clearly the offensive injury issues hurt them in this game, even though there were some people that... You know, turns out when Ole Udo was playing the right position, he generally... He was actually pretty solid the, the yeah. second half. The, when they switched him around in previous years, that, you know, last year, that was uh, pretty much a disaster. So... But I, Bradbury did not look like the same player. I don't think he was fully healthy, um, and they rushed him back because they just they needed him back, and um, so that caused some issues. But really, what it came down to is, like you said, in the plays you talked about from an execution standpoint. Uh, Dara saw Irv goodbye. Um, I know he got the <laughs> touch goodbye. He's been a bust ever since we got him. I got you know. I consistently said I'm tired of of the you know and you don't wish ill on any player, but I was tired of year after year of them boasting about this is the year Irv steps forward, this is the year steps forward, this is the year steps forward, and it was always not going to happen, and and it proved it this year on multiple key drops. So that was huge. The play call was yeah, bad before the meniscus. The only thing I'll say in that he he had the meniscus injury last year, and that's when you really heard them boasting about like in training camp he he looked great, but. We didn't get to see that because of the meniscus. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. Now they it's, have T now they have TJ Hawkinson. Irv is gone. We know we know what a real tight end looks like in this modern NFL, and it's not Irv Smith. 
Uh, it's much more like TJ Hawkinson. I, I would say to your point on the third and one, we were both texting and yelling and screaming about it. I'm fine having that in your playbook, you know, for trick play when you need it, but that was not the time to do it. Um, and frankly, you've heard me go on this rant numerous times. The, there's the most underutilized play in football, college, NFL, is the QB sneak. And I wish I've been Kirk's fine. good at it. Kirk's good at Kirk, it too. You know, and frankly, his, you know, his size and his ability to hide behind, I know Garrett's a little bit smaller as a center, but like get up there and do it. There's nothing I hate more than on, you know, third and short, fourth and short, third and short, when you know you're going to go for it on fourth down, than trying to do a trick play or hiking it back in the shotgun three yards to hand it off to someone. They weren't going for it on fourth down there, in fairness, deep in their own territory. Although, although O'Connell has done that before. So don't I, totally I, rule that out, but but the trick that particular trick play, it like there were no blockers for Kirk Cousins. It made no sense, and also KJ Osborne was wide open in the middle of the field. So I don't even know if that was an option to possibly hit him in the middle of the field. But the way O'Connell explained it afterwards, they said that was the play to get it back to Kirk. There's literally two guys running right at him. They buried him way behind the line. It's just what I don't like is when I don't like plays on third and one, third and two, fourth and one, fourth and two, where you are going back unnecessary yards to make the play harder. Yeah. You you are taking the offense's biggest advantage of we know when the ball is being hiked in that split second advantage. And you are minimizing it by giving yourself greater distance to go. It's one thing if you're dropping back the quarterback to do that real quick. Um, be, and, and it's fine to do that with Kirk. But doing it in the shotgun, as a lot of teams do, or, you know, and then handing it off or whatever you're doing, I just, I hate it. And so I would have gotten up there and I would have snuck it with Kirk or I would have handed it to Delvin and told the offensive line to make it happen or have you know do it there there just are so many better plays there and that was problematic uh, the other one i gotta say and this is sort of a good transition for I, I, to where we go as the vikings i know that kirk took the blame and said i should have thrown the ball in front of kj a little bit more on that third down and that's not wrong he should have no that's but right the, the reality is when that ball hits you in the chest and you want to be the number two receiver on this team, you got to catch the damn ball. And KJ is a nice three. He is not a two and they are missing. You know, we all love Adam Thielen. He's as great a story as can be. He's a number three at best, maybe a number four where he can't get separation like he used to. I'd love it for them to keep him, you know, in restructure. But the reality is, is this team beyond needs a true number two receiver and kj ain't it and adam ain't, ain't it anymore and we saw that that when they needed it tj was was not brought into the play like he should have been but they needed someone else who could step up and when kj had the opportunity when it was a tiny bit off he didn't make the play we that he that we needed him to yeah and kj's been been good this the last two seasons but <laughs> I, I want to challenge you on something. KJ has mostly had his breakout games against bad competition. I, he took a little step forward. I'll give you that. Um, that's, and and I, that's fair. Numbers. I think he's been really good after the catch. Um, and, and he's gone from 
I mean, he was drafted in the fifth round. So, you know, he's been a contributing member. But, I no, I agree with you. He's not a number two, though. No, no. And nor is Thielen anymore. Yeah, Thielen's not anymore, sadly, either. And um, I think Thielen's almost surely gone. Um, Yeah, you know, unless you can – I don't think – I think he thinks he can still produce probably more than he actually can. Um, and he'll want to go somewhere and, and get, and get paid, uh, understandably. Um, but they, they, they can't afford to pay. He has like a $19 million cap. And obviously I think even he knows that's, that can't happen. The question is, does he think he can get more on the open market than he could, you know, restructuring his deal with the Vikings and do the Vikings want to, to, to keep him? I'm sure they would love to at the right price, but like you said, probably wide receiver four honestly at this point he's great in the red zone you would use him in those packages uh he still still is a great route runner in the in the red zone and had some big catches in that game that by the way that pass kirk made to him down the sideline when they used jj as a decoy oh seeing that in person was just i mean kirk played a fantastic game kirk was fantastic yeah he really he he really was near perfect in that game, which is makes it all the more sad that they that they lost. Um, <clears throat> with you, they need a number one receiver. Um, number two, all right, number two receiver. Yeah, sorry, number one's taken care of. Um, number two receiver, I would love Jordan Addison from USC in the first round. Uh, somebody like that, um, you know, just spitballing. He might be gone by pick twenty three, but if they can maneuver around and get somebody like that. Um, I think it's probably a draft pick, honestly. Um, and then I think you you address some of the needs, some of the other defensive needs in free agency and with the rest of your draft. Um, but but how are you looking at, I mean, they already fired Donatel. We don't know who the defensive coordinator will be. Uh, how, how are you looking at this offseason? Because it seems to me that it's going to be, yeah, you might have, you, you know, you might lose some names offensively, Thielen. Dalvin could be another one. We'll see, you know, what they do with his contract situation or if they elect to move on. Apparently they really like Ty Chandler uh, and to pay a running back and quarterback is tough. So we'll, we'll see what they do with Dalvin. Um, but most of the changes are going to, most of the larger changes are going to happen defensively. And you could see as many as half or more new defensive starters. Um, what, what's your, what's your outlook kind of on the off season? I think five guys that have meant a lot to this organization are, four of them have, are almost assuredly. I think, uh, and I'm talking about 90% plus chance there. And that to me is, it's Thielen, it's Dalvin, it's CJ Ham. Unfortunately, he just doesn't fit the offensive scheme. I would have liked to see them him more. I think we saw flashes of it in that last week. Um, you know, rather than using Irv or when Irv was out. Um, but I think it's just, you don't, I think I saw a sad at one point that he was only being used on like 15, 15%, you know, and he's got two of a cap hit for the amount that they're using him. So I used him more like Kyle Juszczyk, honestly, he's not as good as Juszczyk, but, but he's one of the better fullbacks still around. I'm with you. They, if they keep them, it's because they've decided they found another way to use them, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, so I think that he's gone. I think that uh, Eric Kendricks is almost assuredly gone. 
And I think Jordan Hicks probably also gone just even though, you know, they just signed him, but I think it just, it didn't quite work out and they need to start over on the linebacking course. So I think those five are gone. I'd say the, the big question marks in my mind are the, the biggest one is what you do with Harrison Smith. And similarly with Z you yeah. need defensive leaders. You can't just get rid of everyone in my mind. I don't think that that's a good idea, but both of those guys also come with significant cap hits and can Harrison stay healthy? Can Z stay healthy? Um, or are they both too injury prone given their cap hit that you need, you let similarly you've got free agents in you know pat peterson and bradbury that you got to decide what you do um so those are the questions i think obviously you're looking to extend tj you're looking to extend TJ, you're looking to probably extend to a shorter time kirk but to me the last point i would make about this team is two things number one that i'd like number one on the defensive side, it's going to be a work in progress, a big overhaul. Come up with a base defense and hire a defensive coordinator that best fits the personnel that you're going to keep and, and build around. And don't square peg round bullet, which is what they did this year, and it hurt them. Um, I, I would have rather had them move on from some of these guys this year rather than square peg round hold it you know with with donatelle's defensive scheme which didn't work so whoever you bring in pick the scheme say that that's what you're committed to and and make sure you have the guys that fit that you know on the team and anyone that doesn't fit it then you got to get rid of um on the the second thing i want to see is because the defense is going to be a rebuild and a work in progress double down on your offense i think it's the only way to do this continued competitive rebuild as they're talking about which to me is extending those guys. And exactly as you said, you know, I don't like you at USC. You know, I, I didn't like how they handled Jordan Addison transferring from Pitt, but he's exactly the type of draft pick I want to see at that 23rd pick. Fill your wide receiver hole or get a stud that, you know, cements that offensive line. Or I would even, this is going to be outside the box. If you don't like CJ and you want to do two tight end sets, if Michael Mayer falls to 23, I know you're locking up J, you know, TJ already. Go the two best tight ends combined with JJ. It, you can get really clever with that, but you need another stud. That's receiver. not what O'Connell likes to do, though. It, I, it, I, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. He is a stud uh, from, from Notre Dame. Um, but that that would be a total... Uh, a, a total overhaul of what O'Connell he likes to run 11 personnel we saw a little more 12 personnel once Irv got got healthy there and, and possibly also to help with the offensive line injuries last week is why we saw it but but yeah no I, they need I, unless um, oh, and I wouldn't totally rule out something like the Philadelphia Eagles did with AJ Brown if they can I don't know what receivers might be available but I wouldn't say I wouldn't rule out trading that first round pick if you can acquire an already established receiver as well. So I think there's a lot of ways you can go with it. Totally agree. And I would, and 
thing that you know, that a mayor makes perfect sense, or that's even my prefer, you know, preferable pick. Even though I think it would have, he would be great on any team. My point is just exactly what you're saying. Whether it's trade it, whether it's draft a wide receiver that can be that number two you need, or or an out of the box way. But to me, you need to fix that other that that third option. Um, the number two receiver or another good tight end or, you know, trade or whatever, so that KJ can play the number three role that he's meant to play and you double down on this offense to lead the team while you are fixing the defense mid-flight with free agents, with young guys, which building the depth, getting a new defensive coordinator, settling on your scheme. And yes, it might mean that you lose a couple of close games because your defense is just so bad and your offense can't be perfect, but I think you can still win the division. I Still get to the playoffs. I think you could still make a run as part of this competitive rebuild, but you know, solidify your greatest strength rather than letting it, you know, just stay stagnant. Even though they'll take a step forward with another year of the playbook and another year of KOC as uh, you know the head coach and Wes Phillips coming back, but play to your strength rather than hoping you can just fix the defense in a year because it ain't gonna happen because this defense was so bad. Yeah, and, and that maybe includes also if Dalvin does leave, drafting a running back at some point in, in the draft as well. Uh, I mean, I know they like Ty Chandler from what I've heard. Uh, Kenny Wongwu hasn't had many chances at running back in his first two years, and I'm not sure that he ever will be a between-the-tackles runner, but he may be implemented more. Alex Madison is almost surely gone. That's another one we didn't mention, but it you know, he's, he's going to go, I think, to the highest payday. And if you're not going to pay Dalvin, then I would not pay Alex Madison either. Um, my thing with Dalvin is like, I love Dalvin. I, he's been my favorite player for a long time, but, and he's a leader and he's meant a ton to the Vikings and the community, but it, the Vikings ran like 30% this year, 35%, somewhere in there. It was like the second or third fewest run rushes by percentage in the league so if, if they're going to continue that way if that's o'connell's philosophy then it does not make sense to pay a running back that kind of money um i'd rather rather you know use multiple guys than rely on a bell cow who you dalvin was still like number six in the league in in rushing yards he had a really good solid season but the running scheme never really clicked with him too many runs out of the shotgun uh, O'Connell would, you'd always hear him saying, well, I wish he would have got more runs for Dalvin today. It's like, well, you, you are the play caller. Like it, that you could have made that happen. But, you know, I, I just don't think that he wants to run the ball a lot. Like he, he loves throwing the ball, which, okay, that's fine. But in that case, then you can't have a high priced running back. So, uh, but drafting one, I mean, look at what the chiefs found with Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round, you can find running backs up and down the draft. I'm not saying necessarily draft one early unless one really stands out to you, but, but drafting one at some point, although I want most of the draft to be defense and they don't have a lot of picks right now, which could be fixed in some trades. You mentioned Harrison and Z, you know, they need to figure out if they think Z can stay healthy. Harrison has mostly been healthy. I mean, he, he's missed some games here and there. Harrison's been pretty damn durable throughout his career and still even in these later years. Um, and, and we'll see how a new defensive coordinator might like to use Harrison. Cause I still think he's very valuable. I'd look, I'd rather keep Harrison and 
Cam Bynum, I think, had a had struggles this year, big struggles. So how do you feel about the health of Lewis seen? Because they still feel very highly about him. If he can come back and play next to Harrison, then maybe you move Cam Bynum into that third safety role. I know they wanted to maybe play three safeties this year before Seen got hurt. So, you know, but they got to figure out if Z can stay healthy. If he if he can, he's still a force. But you might want to restructure that contract too. So I, I agree with you on the guys who are likely gone, though, uh, especially defensively. Kendricks and Hicks. I mean, you saw Kendricks just doesn't have the speed that that you need or the size in the three four. And 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 you you made a great point. You know, you brought Donatel in, but then you and and you brought some three four players in. Z has played in a three four his entire career. That was a great acquisition. George, uh, Harrison Phillips, although I would have liked to see more middle pressure from him, had a solid year. You know, um, he came from a three four system in Buffalo. Uh, Jordan Hicks did as well, but he was still kind of an undersized linebacker. And Kendricks, <laughs> Kendricks was an undersized linebacker who really didn't fit the three four. If anything, when you went to a three four, they should have tried to keep Anthony Barr instead yeah. of Eric Kendricks, because Anthony Barr, although had injury concerns, and maybe that was why they didn't fit a three four much better. So um, I don't understand why uh why they brought in donatel and then proceeded to keep a lot of the players that were drafted for mike zimmer's system so i I understand you couldn't get rid of all of them and you know it'll be interesting to see what they do with daniel as well because they're either gonna have to redo his contract he's he's set to make like five million this year so you know they're they're gonna have to redo his contract or potentially trade him which i don't think is a good idea yeah, you could probably get a first-rounder for him, I think, but he's still a double-digit sex playing out of position for the majority of the year. Get a new defensive coordinator that that knows how to use him to his strengths, and I still think he's a ferocious pass rusher. So, um, but, I, but I agree on most of the departures. You brought up one thing that I want to touch on that I've been thinking a lot about, and it's easy to Monday morning quarterback, and it's easy to judge a draft class after one season which is not fair so i admit i'm being unfair when i talk about this here and it's unfair also because lewis seen got injured so we don't know what could have been if he didn't get injured but i think you would agree with seen was considered more of a high potential but a little bit of a work in progress safety prospect. Do you think that that's fair? They weren't expecting him to start probably this year. Uh, may they, I mean, I think they hoped he could beat out Cam Bynum, but Cam Bynum beat him out. Yeah. Fair and square so, in training camp. You know where I'm going, which is I know they got extra draft capital that helps them get both Andrew Booth and uh, Ed Ingram. Ed Ingram started all year, but was not good. So you hope that with that experience, he'll be better. Uh, Andrew Booth couldn't get on the field, um, both health and talent-wise. But I sit there and go, what would have made the Harrison Smith question a lot easier, again, being unfair in hindsight, is if you had drafted Kyle Hamilton at the pick that you were at. Because – 
Kyle Hamilton started a good portion of the year for the Baltimore Ravens, despite all the you know hiccups in the preseason and people making fun of him. He was pretty darn good, and he would. It was um, ranked very highly, and and so he would have. Yes, maybe started out a position, probably would have beat out Cam Bynum, uh, but played next to Harrison Smith, a fellow Domer, and he probably would move that position and be starting in year two. Harrison probably would be leaving. And so you would have been another year ahead versus where you're at right now, which is, I don't know that you can get rid of Harrison Smith despite his cap hit, nor do I really. I love, obviously, Harry the Hitman, as we all do, and you, know, and, and you like his leadership, obviously. But the reality is, is that Lewis seen coming off of an injury, Cam Bynum coming off of a mediocre at best season. I don't know that you can lose Pat Pete, lose some of the, the secondary help and all your linebacking core and get rid of Harrison. But that draft pick to me after year one looks like a pretty bad mistake by Quaison. We'll see. But right now, that, that looks like an F of a, of a failure. Uh, after one year yeah I think it's a fair point uh to make about the draft class and and honestly um you can't judge a draft class after year one and you made that point um but the fact that you I think we knew going into the season if the Vikings were going to get to where they wanted to go they needed significant contributions from the draft class um for for a few reasons one when you have a QB on a bigger deal, it's more important to hit on those draft picks and get immediate contributions. Also, the failure of the previous regime to draft defensively since I looked this week at their draft picks since 2016. In 15, you got Trey Waynes, Eric Kendricks, and Daniil Hunter. So that was a great draft defensively. Since then, you have not drafted one, one major contributor on defense. I mean, Cam Dantzler, you could say, is a little bit, but like, really, and you have Patrick Jones contributed. Like, not that these people haven't played, but you have not drafted a a legitimate defensive contributor since 2015. So. And they used, I think it was five of their first six draft picks this year on defense. Like, Quasi knew what he had to address. Unfortunately, you can't do much about freak injuries. And the injury in London on a bad playing surface, just you feel awful for Lewis Seen, who everybody, by all accounts, loved in that locker room, was starting to do some nice things on special teams. And I think was just about to get on they had they had put him onto the field a little bit defensively and was he was starting to kind of get onto the field more defensively in three safety looks and then that injury happened and obviously shattered his season uh Andrew Booth has been injured <laughs> Eric Nordquist said this recently on KFAN he's been injured since middle school <laughs> i mean he 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 has not been able to stay on the field that is the m- biggest question mark <laughs> of that pick on, honestly the biggest question mark of that pick was the fact his injury history. I mean, without the injury history, he's probably a first round pick. Uh, And a lot of people had him projected in the first round. So, you know, know, we'll see about that one. Um, I'm very optimistic about 
seen coming back, though. I think his athleticism is what they're looking for. Um, and whether it's next to Harrison Smith or Cam Bynum, I'd prefer to be next to Harrison Smith. Um, I, I think that's going to be big for the Vikings. I also really like a Caleb Evans. I, I think a Caleb Evans showed some nice flashes. He's got the physical traits of a cornerback that you're looking for. Big, tall, long arms, fast. Um, I, I, and he was beating out Andrew Booth in, in training camp uh, when Booth was able to stay healthy. So I think a Caleb Evans is good. Ed Ingram, you mentioned it started every game, um, did some good things in the run game. Uh, what struggled in pass protection, as we all know, but but it's imp- pretty impressive for a rookie second rounder to start at right guard all 18 games. Um, so I'll give him that for sure. Um, and then you know, you look at the rest of the draft class. I mean, I think Brian Asamoah is a guy that you've got to be excited about. Um, he he showed some nice speed, I think he's going to get more time. Next year, he's a firecracker. He goes after the ball. Had that huge strip in the first game against the Giants and the fumble recovery. And then I think Jalen Naylor, or Jalen, yeah, Naylor. I get Naylor and Rager mixed up sometimes. Jalen Naylor, I think, could be a receiver down the road that does some things. I mean, he's got some speed, and he showed some nice flashes in in that last game of the year when he got a chance to play against the Chicago bears. So um, we'll see TBD on this draft class injuries is the story though. In year one, especially to those higher, those higher picks for sure. Completely agree. Some of it was freak. Some of it were, were known issues, um, you know, in the case of booth, um, but certainly some of uh, it, it is to an incomplete grade, um, but it's got to get turned around here pretty quickly. Otherwise, it is, uh, you know, year one did not work out draft class for the most part uh, for Quasi. So uh, yeah. and with and, fewer and, picks. Yeah, and if you want to look at the positive side of that, though, you could say, hey, we're essentially getting two draft classes because most of these guys – well, a lot of a lot of the higher picks were were saddled with injuries. So if you can get Seen and Booth back in that secondary, Evans as well, um, it could it, you know that that would help the progression of this defense. No question. Um, getting Asamoah on the field more on the field more, I think, is is another thing. Um, so so we'll see we'll see. But you're you're right, um, especially when you trade down from the twelfth pick, pretty high pick. You know, you want that to be able to pay off. It paid off in the, in the sense they got more picks, but you passed on some good players like a Kyle Hamilton that you mentioned, uh, who was another option at safety. I mean, clearly the reason they did that was because um, they thought the gap between the talent. I think if one of those star corners had fallen, like a Stingley, they would have stayed and drafted him. But then the way they evaluated the talent for, that was available there versus what they could get at, you know, later in the draft where they picked up scene, they thought that talent discrepancy was not too much. So they said at that point, we're going to get more picks. Whether that turns out to be the case, I think will be judged down the road. Let's transition. Uh, we have all offseason to talk Vikings. Uh, 
Quinn's pitchers and catchers report uh, next month, <laughs> like six weeks away. Crazy enough. That always comes up quickly. But, uh, you know, we talked about Correa, a, a very fortunate move that they, and you give the credit to them. They got it done on, on uh, their third, their third, uh, their third opportunity to sign him. They got him. Um, but they traded Luisa rise, Luisa rise, probably the fan favorite on the team, uh, won the American League batting title last year, taking the triple crown away from Aaron Judge. They traded him, and these these had been rumors. These rumors had been circulating, and Pablo Lopez was the name circulating. Uh, they didn't want to do a one-for-one deal, and the Twins didn't. They they traded a rise for the right-hander Pablo Lopez um, and two prospects, one very highly touted one, who was ranked anywhere, you know, in the top five of Marlins prospects. Although I think he's going to be more like top 15 in terms of twins prospects. Um, it's just the way the systems uh, twin system is a little stronger at this point. Um, and then the second prospect played in the Dominican summer league last year. And, you know, is a long, long way away from the big leagues, but they're, they're high on both those prospects. We'll see on that. But the main, the main guy they, they wanted was Pablo Lopez to to enhance the rotation what were your thoughts on that trade uh, first off sad um i as you know i can be a little bit old school in my thinking about some sports uh i i get the role of advanced analytics but i don't like guys that hit 230 and are all about launch angle and either strike out or hit a home run. That's, that's not the baseball I enjoy. I like guys that get on base. I like uh, guys that are, are strong, you know, uh, base runners uh, that hit for average. I'm a guy that likes defense and taking charges in basketball. So I don't, I don't like the modern NBA either. Um, you know, I, I, there, I, I like good, strong trench play in, in, in football. So admittedly, my, my view is the old school, uh, you know, a- approach. And so I like to rise with average. Um, I think, unfortunately, they didn't have a lot, unless you were willing to part with a lot of good, um, you know, prospects. They didn't have big leaguers that were really good opportunities to trade to get pitching help. And they need pitching help, both starting and reliever. And uh, so I think it's fortunate. It's good. They got a, a high prospect back. I did not like the one for one. I still think Pablo Lopez maybe is, uh, and you would know better a, a high two or a, um, or a solid three. That's sort of the range. He's not going to be think number probably, one. I think probably a three, but they hope he has some upside that they can unlock where he becomes a two. Yeah. If we're, if we're being fair. So, the issue is the twins still don't have a number one and they're going to have to part with some people to make an, to get a number one because they've continued to fail to develop all these highly touted prospects that they have to, to, to be a number one, um, a number one capable of winning in the playoffs. So I think that they're deeper pitching wise today uh, than they were before, which was probably necessary given all the prospects and depth that they have on the for infield. Um, and and Luis, so I think it was just more of a a reality. It was the reality was you needed to make a move like this, and he was the only one to give up. But it doesn't mean that I'm not sad about it, or that 
it it might not dramatically improve the twins that much even though on paper they are better and this is what they had to do yeah i mean how can you not be sad if you <laughs> whether you're old school new school i mean who doesn't like watching luisa rise um great story from from venezuela almost the twins almost didn't have enough money to sign him he he learned i i've covered this on this podcast before but he learned to hit with his dad dangling dangling a baseball off a mango tree in Venezuela, you know, grew up with nothing and just worked his butt off through the system, hit at every single level, tore his ACL three games in to the 2017 season, came back in 2018 and just continued to hit, um, struggled initially for like a month. I had him in Fort Myers and then he just ex- absolutely exploded onto the scene. Um, and flew up, you know, hit like 400 in June that year, over 400, and got called up to Double A, and and just took off, and and debuted in uh, in 2019, and and uh, hit the ground running. I mean, he was he was just fantastic. Won the batting title last year. Uh, Terry Francona famously predicted he'd win multiple batting titles, and and uh, and and he said if there's a net, another guy to hit 400, it'd be him too. Um, so you know, this guy's just a wizard with the bat. He, his contact skills are amazing. People said he didn't have much power, although that developed even a little bit last year as well with 31 doubles and eight home runs. Um, So he was not just a singles hitter. That was a misconception. Um, Maybe a little bit more early in his career, but he's always been able to hit some doubles and find those gaps in the lines. Um, Just a grinder. I mean, a perfect leadoff hitter. Takes long at bats, which gave guys like Correa and Buxton behind him the ability to see what a pitcher had that day. So I think that aspect is really going to be missed. He didn't have a clear position defensively. So, and, and he had some injury concerns, although last year found a way to stay on the field more uh, did drop off a little bit in the second half. So in, in fairness, maybe that was part of the twins concern long-term about keeping him, but he was under control for three more years. Lopez under control for two more years and certainly has solid numbers uh, in in Miami. He's had some injury concerns too, though, with his shoulder. So hopefully, you know, the Twins' Twins' recent history of trading for injured guys like Paddock and, and Malley, uh, who they got, uh, you know, before the season and then at the trade deadline, respectively, last year, and both were uh, both were both you know got hurt. Um, so. You know, we'll we'll see. Uh, it is sad losing Louis Arizo, and I think what he brings. You, you mentioned you're more old school. I am too when it comes to to lots of parts of baseball. While recognizing the value of some of the new school elements, um, I think what Arise does in today's game is even more valuable than it would have been say ten years ago, uh, because not a lot a lot of guys can do what he does. Um, and you know, you just flash back to that at bat his rookie year when he was brought in with an 0-2 count when Jonathan Scope got injured and he was facing uh, Edwin Diaz for the Mets and he fouled off pitch after pitch after pitch, finally drew a walk and, uh, you know, was so fired up. He draws walks too. I mean, he never strikes out. And uh, just such such a unique player in today's game. And I think Marlins fans are going to absolutely love him. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him more win more batting titles and hit for more power in a very hitter-friendly park as well in Miami mentioned those improved power numbers last year, especially the doubles and the eight home runs. So I, I think, I, I think it's a, it, it's a tough loss. And, uh, 
you you hope Lopez can eventually be that he might be the number two starter in the Twins rotation, but I I think as you said, in, in a really good rotation, he'd probably be number three. And the, the, the my issue is the Twins have a lot of number threes already. You know, Sonny Gray in a really good rotation is probably number three. Uh, you 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 have Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan could get up to number two, but probably more like a number three. Um, it, it, you know, Bailey Ober has had huge issues staying healthy. I think. Uh, if he's at his utmost potential, though, he's probably number three. Uh, you, you have you have Malley, who might be number two, but he's had injury issues. So, again, you, you have these guys, a lot of guys with injury issues in that starting rotation, which is natural for pitchers, but it, it, they, they did need another arm. So it's good from that standpoint. But to give up a rise is a lot to give up for that. And it's not just because he won the batting title. You know, it, people say, oh, People who promote the trader say, oh, you can't just say it's because it's not just about batting average. It's everything that I described that Louis Arise brings to the table. Um, but, you know, you I think my last point is, and you hit on this exactly, the reason they had to make a move like this or they felt they had to is because of two things. One, their fail, their absolute failure to develop pitching, not even, not just this regime but the previous regime as well, you know, aside from Jose Barrios, Bailey Ober, you know, who else have they developed really to be a true quality starting pitcher in the major leagues just hasn't happened. Um, and that was Derek Falvey's calling card when he came from Cleveland COVID kind of pushed that back, but that's one thing. And number two, they haven't shown that they're willing to spend in free agency on pitching on quality starting pitching. I mean, really high quality. So when you haven't developed it and you won't spend on it, your only choice is to trade for it and to trade for a real ace costs an arm and a leg. So this is the best they could do. That's, that's kind of my, my thoughts on it. Yeah. I'd say things about reaction, one comment and one question for you. I'd say, I, I agree with that about the development and, and signing it. Uh, you know, they've been willing to throw, you know, the hundred million around or 120, but they're not willing to go out and spend what they have to, to get that clear number. Yeah, Not one. for a pitcher though. Not for a pitcher. Well they, well, they did throw that around for Zach Wheeler. They got up above a hundred, but they weren't willing yeah, to Yeah, But that wasn't a competitive off. He ended up signing for 120. So your point, my, my, they're willing to, they're willing to spend some money, but they're not willing to throw the competitive offer for the top ACE that gets them you know, that actually that. gets it done. Yeah. 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 And I, I totally agree on that. I, I will say uh, one comment I will say where they haven't done it on the pitching. Oh. I give them credit this regime. It hasn't always worked. It's always evaluated well, including with injuries. But if you would have asked us four years ago about a, a you know, a team that signs Josh Donaldson, that signs oh. Carlos Correa twice, you can argue about how well it worked out that, you know, make some moves like they have, regardless of how some of them have maybe worked out. Um, you know, they, we as fans get caught up all the time about the twins over the years and say, make the big moves. Now we don't always like the, you know, you got to give them credit for making some big moves, even yeah. if we don't, the outcomes or they don't always work. I, I want to give credit where credit is due. This is not the early Carl Pohl ad, you know, early two thousands twins and how the, how cheap they are but they do need to do it on the pitching the other question i have is i 
where I struggle in this and where I'd be curious what your reaction is. If you acknowledge they needed to make a move to get more pitching and that, you know, maybe they weren't going to be able to give up enough or will be willing to give up enough in order to get that true number one, who else would you have willing to part with put aside Correa and Buxton? Cause they clearly, those are their, their cornerstones. They're not trading those two at this point in time. Who else do you think would you have been more okay with that trading that actually had value to get a Pablo Lopez type? Because that's where I struggle is I'm not sure yeah. what the alternative was, even though I hate trading Arias. No, it's it's a fair point. I mean, you would have needed to trade some some top prospects, and who knows if Miami would have wanted to do that. Miami wanted a proven big leaguer. You know, those were all the reports. They wanted a proven big leaguer. So, yeah, I mean – you're right. There may not have been another choice, but that is because you haven't developed sufficiently that you have to make that, that move. And you have, you, you don't want to go in and compete for the services of a Jacob deGrom, like the Rangers signed or Justin Verlander, like, like the New York Mets. You, you don't want to, to, to be in the competition for those guys. So, you know, that's what it comes down to. If you, if you're not going to compete in free agency, for starting pitching and for high level starting pitching and you're, you, you can't develop them, then you're forced to do stuff like this. So, you know, I, it's, it's a fair, it's a fair point. One, one last thing, and, and then we'll go, um, you know, a friend of mine and I were texting who I respect a lot in terms of his baseball knowledge. And uh, he's, he's done some work in the twins organization, you know, the twins last year at the trade deadline, made some aggressive trades. And I think everybody was happy with those trades. Now, Malley didn't turn out. Lopez, Pablo Lopez, or uh, Jorge Lopez, excuse me, from Baltimore was okay, but didn't perform like he did for Baltimore. And Michael Fulmer from Detroit, who is a guy that could re-sign, by the way, I think would be a good re-sign. Um, he didn't pitch great either. So the trades, but but people were happy at the time that they made those aggressive moves. They gave up a lot of, pitching prospects in those moves some hitters but they gave up some key pitching prospects in those moves who may have been some of the next guys they could have developed and my friend who was texting me made the point like this wasn't a world series team yeah they were in first place in the division at the time so you wanted to win the division get into the playoffs but i think everybody knew they they weren't going to compete with the yankees or the astros last year uh, to go to the World Series. Now, the playoffs are somewhat of a crapshoot, but still, the chances they were going to get to the World Series were slim. So my friend's point was, maybe they, act, and the Orioles were in contention too. Now, they were in contention for a wild card, so it's a little bit different. But now with a wild card, you do get a best of three series. So it's a better chance than it used to be. But still, the Twins were competing for the division and Orioles for wild card, which required you know more teams to compete with. But the Orioles actually sold at the deadline. They sold Mancini, they sold Lopez, and they got even more prospects. And now they're ready to make a big push. Whereas the Twins kind of gutted, not gutted the system, but traded some pretty highly thought of prospects for those moves for a team that wasn't going to make a World Series run. So was it really the right move? And could you have even sold at the deadline last year? Now the fans would have not liked it. But long-term, could that have been the best option? It's an interesting way to think about it. would have been a tough sell being in first at the, in the division at the time. But it's not a, it's not a bad thought. 
your thoughts on that, and then we'll call it uh, call it a show. It's not a bad thought. Presumes that they've actually developed those prospects, and it goes. That's where I come full circle. Where I'm sick and tired of hearing how great the Twins' prospects are. We've been hearing that for how long? And offensive players and pitchers, for the most part, it 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 hasn't worked out. I and and, and you would know better, but I just I sit there and I go. Even some of the guys that they developed and our prospects that they then trade away, they they go and do fine other places, but the ones that we keep don't end up living up to their potential that they've touted. This is not the days where you know they you know where they brought power, they brought up more no, they were they had clear stars that came from that. You can correct me about some of the folks on the team now, but they've been much more. Well, closer. most of the folks on the team now were drafted by the previous regime. Yeah. So, and then so I mean, if you're, if you're talking about like, you know, even Buxton, Kepler, uh, Sano before he left, um, you, but, you know, but it, those, those, uh, Polanco, Polanco, um, but those guys, I mean, and this is what I was saying, even Miranda, even Miranda was drafted in the final year of the old regime. Now this regime did do a good job developing. Them. That's one guy they have developed. Miranda looks yes. like he's going to be a cornerstone for a long time. Lewis, with his injuries aside, and Miranda have given us hope. Buxton has never lived up to his potential, mostly because of health. So put that one aside. Um, you know, we've we've debated that before, and we'll debate that more. But I mean, even the other guys you named. I mean, Kepler's not been he he's been fine. He's not been really that good. Polanco had that one good year, but then it's not been good since. So Polanco Polanco's had more than one. Polanco's been better than Kepler. Um, but, but look, uh, yeah, they they need to develop more, especially when you're not. I'm not saying they're they're in the bottom of spending, but they're probably right around the middle of spending. They need to do a better job developing with their system. Uh, they've done a better job developing hitting than pitching, even with the in the current regime with guys like Lewis uh, Kirilov, who needs to you know prove his wrist is healthy by all accounts. It is in this offseason, so hopefully he's figured that out because he will be a a terrific hitter um, if he's healthy. Larnick, same deal. Um, not same deal with the wrist, but, you know, had a bad injury last year. I think if he's healthy, he'll be a very good hitter. So I think this regime has identified hitting better than pitching, although Kirilov was drafted by the previous regime as well, to be fair. So, um, and I think COVID did stunt a lot of the development. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, I think – the development of pitching is going to be the key because previous regime, this regime has shown a little bit on the hitting side, but, uh, but the pitching side, it's tougher uh, for various reasons, injuries being chief among them, but they need to show that they can develop starting pitching and then they won't have to give up guys like Luis Arise for, you know, number three starters like Pablo Lopez, hopefully he turns into more, but at this point, that's what you need to consider. So think that's it for today unless you have anything else nope i think that covers it all right perfect uh a comprehensive show uh of vikings and twins talk and uh we'll have more of that uh of that going forward for matt galvan i'm marshall kellner thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you next time bye-bye